Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you are here. Welcome those of you in our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. So last week was our outdoor service. I got to tell you something that happened. It was great. I love the outdoor services. We get the whole kind of church family all in one place at one time. We had baptisms. We had 25 people who were baptized last week. We had one walk-up. We had a, a guy, Mark Lyle, was baptizing in one of the tanks. And uh, after he got through, somebody came up to him and they said, uh, listen, this guy led me to Christ last week. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Can I get baptized? Mark was like, get in the tub. Right? Yeah, which is awesome. So I just wanted you to know that. So that is uh, amazing to see uh, God work. All right, this is the second week of our four-week series we are calling a breathe-in series. We have a breathe-in series because we believe there's a basic rhythm to the Christian life, a basic rhythm to life in general. It's like uh, breathing, inhaling, exhaling. We have some huge goals here at Christ Community Chapel. Uh, they, we have three big goals. They take up the three hallways outside. Everyone, every community, everywhere. We want in the next 30 years, by the year 2050, the everyone goal is that 10,000 people within a 10-mile radius come to know Jesus as their Savior. That means that if you are a follower of Jesus, we need you to share your faith with at least one person this year. That's what we want. All right? The second goal is every community. We want to plant 60 churches in Northeast Ohio by the year 2050. We've planted six. We have two church planters who are, will be ready to launch by next year. That is super exciting. Right? And then finally, everywhere, we want to give $30 million to global missions in the next 30 years so that people everywhere have a chance to hear about Jesus. We want our lives to count. We want our church to to count and to impact the world. That's a lot of exhaling. That's a lot of stuff that happens out there. And if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that we are growing ourselves, that we are sinking our roots deeper into Jesus. That's the purpose of this series, this Breathe In series. So we're spending four weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And all four messages are from the same chapter, Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. You can open up your phone, uh, your app, your tablet, whatever. If you're going to use one of our Bibles uh, here in the sanctuary over in East Hall, it's on page 888, all right? Romans chapter 8. Last week, I, uh, I started this series by telling you that the Holy Spirit is probably the most mysterious 
and most neglected person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This week, I want to tell you that uh, that is not all our fault, that the Holy Spirit wants to be in the background. The Holy Spirit works like a spotlight. And a spotlight, when it's working properly, you don't look at the spotlight, you look at what the spotlight is shining on, right? That's the way a spotlight's supposed to work. That's what the Holy Spirit job is. And in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, it's, uh, he's becoming, he's going very close to the cross. It's almost around the corner. So he's telling the disciples about what's about to happen. He's telling the disciples that he's going to die, that he's going to resurrect, that he's going to ascend, that he's leaving them. And they are freaking out, understandably so. And so Jesus tells them about the person of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do. And this is what he says in verses 13 and 14 of John chapter 16. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says that what the Holy Spirit will do is to glorify him. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus real to you. More than that, to make Jesus glorious. And of course, the question is, what does it mean to make Jesus glorious? Whenever you read the word glory in the Bible, I want you to think of two things. I want you to think of beauty and importance. Beauty and importance. It's almost like if you were walking along uh, one evening, and out of the corner of your eye, in your peripheral vision, you see something, and it happens to be the sunset. And then you turn and look at it, and it is absolutely amazing. It is breathtaking in its beauty, and you look straight at it. What has happened is that the sunset that was in your peripheral vision has become glorious. It's gone from the periphery to being central. I have uh, told you my story of faith probably uh, a bunch of times. I was raised in a wonderful Christian home. My dad was a pastor. I knew about Jesus from the time I could understand words. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was six years old. But from the time I was six to the time I was about 19, my life was pretty much like anyone else's, except that I was very consistent in going to church. I mean, my dad was a pastor. I was there all the time. But if you took church attendance out of my life as a variable, what you would see in looking at my life is that it was pretty much like my friend's life. What was important to me was the same things that were important to them. Sports, school, friends, girls, right? And then uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to University of South Florida to play basketball. And even as the way I phrase that shows you what, is the mo what was the most important thing in my life. And when I got to South Florida, I went on what I have called a 13-month moral freefall, where I tried to fill myself up with everything that a college student would think would fill them up. And then on a Saturday, I decided to go home, and I got in my car and started to drive from Tampa, which is where University of South Florida is, to Orlando, which is where my parents live. And on the way, I began to feel 
how terribly empty I was after trying to fill myself up. And I decided to pray and prayed in a long time. And I said simply to God, can I come home? And as soon as I said that, there was a a love and a grace that flooded into me that actually, that absolutely undid me. And that was the moment that I laid my life down to Jesus and I said, anything you want from me, anywhere you want me to go, anything you want me to do, I'm in. What happened? The Holy Spirit made Jesus glorious. That instead of Jesus being on the periphery of my life, Jesus became central, and I saw his beauty, and I responded to it. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit's job to make Jesus more than like a self-help book. And so many of us use Jesus like that, where you take Jesus out when you need him the most, and then when you don't need him anymore, you put him back. The Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus glorious. The Holy Spirit is the secret for you to experience the love and the grace and the beauty of Jesus. He's also the secret to obedience. This is the secret to obedience. The the secret to obeying God isn't willpower. It's something else. Let me me just use um, giving. Giving is something that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about giving. You probably know that. The Bible even gives a percentage of what you should give back to God, being 10%, and people struggle with that. Now, when I decided to, um, when I was dating my wife and decided to ask her to marry me, uh, I was a poor college student. I went to my bank. I took out every dime, and I went to a jewelry store. And it was like I... I <laughs> It was like I was playing poker, and I pushed all the chips in, all the money I had. And I said, give me the best ring, the best ring this will buy. Right? Why would I do that? Because Karen had become glorious. Right? I'd seen her beauty and her importance. It was a joy to do that. I was talking with a friend of mine not too long ago that struggled, was struggling with giving and And he ended up saying, you know what, I I see what other people give. I don't see why I should give more than they should give or than they give. And it wouldn't help for me to try to make him feel guilty anymore. It would help for me to make you feel guilty about giving. What he needs is for Jesus to become glorious. I talked to a, a man after the service last week, and he was struggling with a particular sin that he couldn't shake. And he asked me for some advice And I don't know what I said, but what I should have said is pray for the Holy Spirit to make Jesus glorious. That is always the secret to obedience. All right. That's all by way of introduction. That's all extra. Now we get into the passage. I want to bring three things out of this passage, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. I want to talk about what the Holy Spirit wants to take away uh, from you what the Holy Spirit wants to give to you and how the Holy Spirit wants to give it, what the Holy Spirit wants to take away, what the Holy Spirit wants to give, and how the Holy Spirit wants to give it. All right, first, what the Holy Spirit wants to take away. In Acts or in Romans chapter 8, at verse 15, it starts out like this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery 
to fall back into fear. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The thing the Holy Spirit wants to take away from you is that slavery to fear. The problem is that fear is the fuel that human beings run on. It is the natural fuel for us. I mean, there are some obvious things that we are afraid of, that we fear. COVID, disease, death, loss. All those things are very real. And those are things that almost everyone is afraid of to one degree or another. I watched a movie last week, fascinating movie. It's called 13 Lives. It's based on the true story of uh, the soccer team in Thailand, the boys' soccer team that went into a cave And they went into the cave before it was raining. It started to rain. The cave flooded, and they were stuck. They were stranded in the cave. And divers, scuba divers, had to go and rescue them. I don't know if you remember that story. It is an amazing, it's super, super tense, right, when I'm watching the movie. And I had to keep reminding myself it's based on a true story. I know how the story ends. They get all 13 of them out safely. Uh, Spoiler alert, right? Listen, with the big, with the obvious fears, I need the Holy Spirit to remind me when I'm afraid of things that like disease and loss and death, that I need to be reminded that I know how my story ends, and my story ends well. And the Holy Spirit will need to remind you from time to time, maybe right now, of how to deal with the obvious fears by reminding you that your story ends well if you're a follower of Jesus. But there are more subtle fears that control our behavior day to day. I I always think that if if you dig deep enough into any virtue, uh, many times you will find fear as the motivator for that virtue. You can talk to somebody who's hardworking. Why do you work so hard? And what you find if you dig deep enough is this this fear of not measuring up, fear of not being a success. I remember when I played basketball, I had a tremendous fear of losing. I hated to lose more than I loved to win. Now, there is something about fear that can be the motivator for almost anything good we do. It can be a motivator for obedience. Uh, uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, I drive the speed limit or within eight miles an hour of the speed limit. And I drive within eight miles an hour of the speed limit because someone told me a long time ago that uh, police have a saying that uh, eight, you're great, nine, you're mine, right? I don't know if that's true. Somebody told me that. Like, if you drive within eight miles an hour of the speed limit, they'll let you go, but at nine, they're going to give you a ticket. So I drive the speed limit or uh, eight mile an hour or less over the speed limit. And I don't do it because I'm a good citizen, right? And I don't do it because I'm a Christian. And the way to love my neighbor is to drive at a safe speed. That never occurred to me until I started to prepare for this sermon, right? I drive the speed limit or close to it because I don't want to get a ticket. Because I'm afraid of getting a ticket. There's no telling how fast I would drive if there was no chance that I could get a ticket. And you may be the same way. This is what's interesting. Romans chapter 8, this chapter that we are looking at, begins, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in 
Christ Jesus. He starts out by saying this. There's no fear. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no fear of getting caught. There is no fear of being condemned. And if that's true, then why be good? Why be moral? Why try to be like Jesus? If the Holy Spirit takes away fear, what does he replace it with? And that brings me to the second point, which is what the Holy Spirit wants to give. Same verse, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says that instead of fear, we have the spirit of adoption. He chooses that for a reason. I mean, there are a bunch of things that that means. Let me just pull out three. Right? It means uh, something about status, something about inheritance, and something about access. And all three of those are absolutely wonderful. But when Paul says that we are adopted, probably the primary thing he's thinking of is in the Roman culture, if you were adopted, your status changed immediately. And it could never be unchanged. It was like you became a new person. And when you were adopted, there was nothing that you did to earn adoption. A a baby doesn't like get their life together, get their act together so that they can be adopted. Adoption is the act of someone else. The act of someone saying to a child, I have chosen to want you. I have chosen to love you. I give you my name. You are mine. What Paul says, the God of the universe comes to you. Listen, we love adoption here at Christ Community Chapel. I've been able to participate in a couple of what they called gotcha days. And a gotcha day is when the whole family goes to the, to the judge and the judge signs the paper that changes the status of that child forever. And when that judge is signing that paper, What the judge is saying is that someone has decided to say to this child, I have chosen to want you. I have chosen to love you. I give you my name. You are mine. And that's what Paul the Apostle says that God of the universe does to you. He changes your status by saying, I give you my name. You are mine. The second thing is that inheritance. Paul mentions it in verse 17. He says that we are heirs with Christ. Actually, he says we are co-heirs with Christ. That means that whatever Jesus inherits, you inherit. Whatever Jesus inherits, I inherit. So the question is, what is Jesus' inheritance? What will Jesus one day inherit? One word, everything. Everything. There is nothing in creation that is not his, that will not be given to him as his rightful inheritance. You know what that means? You ever go into a, like into a coffee shop and you see everybody in the coffee shop is on their phone? Like they're sitting right across from somebody who's a live person, but they're looking at their phone. Right? There's a reason people do that. There's a reason there's an addiction to our phones. And they actually did a study with, with teenagers to see why they were addicted 
to their phones and they came up with a term to describe it. It's a fear of missing out. Uh, FOMO, by short, in short, right? Fear of missing out. That they look at their phones, they wonder, what's happening somewhere else? Listen, this is true. If you have ever had a fear of missing out on something because you are following Jesus or being obedient to Jesus, if you have ever feared that you will miss out on love, on intimacy, on pleasure, on joy, what Paul is saying is that a child of the king, as a child of the king, there isn't a single thing in all of creation that will not one day be yours. Do you hear that? Right there. What scripture says is no good thing does God withhold from those who love him. The deep needs and desires of your soul will one day be met in full as your inheritance. Listen, there's a difference between being denied something and having something delayed. Always remember that. That's the second thing, is inheritance. And I told you that all three of these things are wonderful, but this last one is probably my favorite, access. Access. Paul does something really interesting at the end of that verse where he says, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, scholars notice this, you know, for generations, that Paul had been writing in Greek because that was the language of the time. But Abba is not a Greek word. Abba is an Aramaic word. Aramaic is what Paul spoke as a child. That was his first language, right? And, and Abba, there are other words for father, but Abba is the diminutive form. It's the, it's, you know, when, when, a, when you have a baby and you're trying to teach them to say their first word, you know, everybody's trying to get the word to me, like you're saying, hey, 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 say mama. You use, you use just a two-syllable word, mama, papa, dada. Abba. Abba was, the, was the, the first thing that Paul the Apostle ever called his own dad. And here he says that the God of the universe says to you, call me Abba. That means access. And when I say access, uh, Zach has five kids, which that's actually more of a tribe than a family. Uh, his daughter Ava was the one, his oldest daughter Ava was the one who read scripture, this particular scripture. But uh, it's at least once a week during the summer. It's like his whole, all of his kids come to visit him at the office. And I hear it happening. I mean, they, they come in and they bust into his office. Doesn't matter who's in there, right? Because they have access, right? And, and by the time I get out of my office, because their offices are closed, Zach's got one child in, a, you know, in his arms and he's, you know, the others are all asking him things and they can ask him anything. They can say, daddy, daddy, tie my shoe. And he will lean down and he will tie their shoe. No one else can go into Zach's office and say, tie my shoe. I guess I could because I'm his boss, but that would just be weird, right? <laughs> there, they can come in and say, daddy, I have a splinter. Immediately he stops and looks and cares for them. Right? This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you get to call God Abba. The reason that Zach's kids can do that is because to them, he's dead. There's nothing too trivial to bring to him. 
When they come to him and they say, give us candy, they don't think, oh, he's so busy. He, he didn't care about candy. They think he's got to care about candy because we care about candy. Right? There's nothing too trivial to bring to God. There's nothing too big for you to bring to God. Be bold. Paul is saying be audacious because the God of the universe says to you, you can call me Abba. You have access. So the Holy Spirit wants to take away this spirit of fear, give a spirit of adoption where our status is changed, where our inheritance is secure, and where we have access. How do we remember that? How do you remember that tomorrow? And that brings you to my third point, which is how the Holy Spirit wants to give it. This is verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's a, a legal term. Bears witness with our spirit. Some versions say the spirit, the, the spirit testifies to our spirit. It means that the Holy Spirit stands up and says something to you. Like you receive a devastating criticism from someone. And then you hear in your mind, like the voice say, no, no, remember, remember. You are not what they say you are. You are what God says you are. And what God says you are is that he loves you. And you are his child. Right? If that's ever happened to you, that's the Holy Spirit testifying, telling you. There are times... I know for me that there are situations that I need to turn like a diamond until I can see it in light of the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit who allows us to do that. I think that can happen at any time. The Holy Spirit can testify to you in the middle of a sermon, maybe in the middle of this sermon, hopefully. It can happen in the, when you're reading a book. It can happen when you're reading a passage of Scripture and all of a sudden you, you just think, Yes, I am a child, I am his, I am loved. That's the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit. I think that's probably why I, I love the story of the prodigal son so much. I feel like I, I try to squeeze it into every sermon I can. It's the story in Luke chapter 15. Right? You probably know the story. It's the story of a, of a young man that goes away, tries to fill himself up, ends up empty, is staggering home, and his father sees him while he's a long way off and begins to run to him. And when he gets to him, he wraps his arms around him, and he cries out, Rejoice with me, for this son of mine who was lost has been found. This son of mine who is dead is alive. Right? I love that, because that's what happened in my car so many years ago that I felt the God of the universe run to me, wrap his arms around me, and say, this son of mine who was lost has been found. This son of mine who was dead is alive. And it's a reminder, whenever I tell that story, that God still feels the same way about me. That God wraps his arms around me this very morning, these many years later, and says, rejoice with me, for this son of mine was lost and has been found, was dead and is alive. And he feels the same way about you. 
Listen, it's the Holy Spirit who drives that home. It's the Holy Spirit who wants you to know that today. The Holy Spirit wants to take away your, the spirit of slavery connected to fear. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you today that you have been adopted, which means you have access. Be bold. Be audacious. Because you can call him Abba. And it's the Holy Spirit who is reminding you this very morning, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. That the God of the universe has said to you, I have chosen to want you. I have chosen to love you. I give you my name. You are mine. Call me Abba. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we come to you, and uh, I am so grateful that we, can, that we can call you Abba. I know there are a lot of requests out there that people need to come to you and just say, hey, this is what I need, and I pray that they will do that with boldness because you have invited it. I pray that, uh, that the Holy Spirit would remove uh, a spirit of fear and replace it with the spirit of adoption that you would remind every person here that their status has been changed because of Jesus. I pray that you will remind us all of our inheritance, that there is nothing that we are missing out on now when we obey you. And then finally, I pray that you will remind us that we have access, that we get to call you Abba. Thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, and let him testify to our spirits that we are your children. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.